Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha Podcast. What you're going to get from this podcast is biblical encouragement for college students in Milwaukee. And if you don't fit that description, this can still be a good listen for you. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called Sent. We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. Um, I think that's Nina. Yeah. So our scripture today is in Acts 6, verse 8. Now Stephan, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of, of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of law. They seized Stephen and brought him before Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Awesome. Thank you, Nina. Um, You can just leave it on that passage for a little bit. I was talking with Rachel recently, and a few others of you were in this conversation. And we were talking about, Rachel was at a church recently, I think, where people were, you know, saying hallelujah, all men, agreeing. And we were just talking about how how fun that is, how nice that is. So I just want to let you know, yep, there we go. If you feel so inclined to verbally affirm anything tonight, you have the freedom, whether that's amen, whether that's mmm, whether that's yeet. If you want to like raise your hand and physically affirm something, you got, you guys have permission. So I see a few of you like pointing at, yeah, a few of you pointing at other people. You're also allowed to laugh. Sometimes I'm funny and you are allowed to laugh. See? Right there. Thank you, Elise. Thank you. Aw, thanks, Elise. Okay, so Acts chapter 6. Thank you so much, um, Nina. So, Stephen is the main character in this passage. And if you remember, Caitlin spoke last week. Stephen comes up. Stephen is one of the seven men who were chosen to oversee the distribution of food. So what we know about him, he was, so just a recap of the context of Caitlin's sermon. The, um, oh my goodness, not the Hebraic Jews. Thank you, Hellenistic. The Hellenistic Jews were feeling like their widows and their poor were being overlooked. So the disciples came together and said, you're right. 
We want to keep preaching the gospel like we're doing, so we're going to appoint people who we know can do a good job, who we know can complement our strengths, to fill in the gaps where we are failing. And so they chose minority people. They chose people from the minority group to be in charge of not just the distribution of food for their group, but for the whole group. So Stephen is one of these people. Another thing we know, because it clearly says when they picked out the seven, that they picked out men who were filled with the Holy Spirit of full of wisdom. So this is Stephen. This is the same Stephen we see here. And you may recognize this story. One, you may know this story. But even if you don't, if you've been with us reading through the book of Acts, this similar plot line has come up before. It's a very f familiar, we've seen it a few times now. You see it in the Gospels. We're reading through Luke as a small group, and a very similar plot line comes up there as well. So chapter 4, which we went through a few weeks ago, similar, similar thing that we see going on here, where in chapter 4, Peter and John, they heal a man. The leaders don't like it. The religious leaders don't like it. They arrest them put them on trial. Peter and John give an amazing account of the gospel. Acts says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's remarked they are unschooled, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. And then we see what happens. The people are celebrating the healing. The leaders, though they're mad at Peter and John, realize there's nothing they can do. Let them go and say, don't preach this name anymore. And they say, no, <laughs> we love Jesus and we follow God. So we have, so far, a very similar plot line happening. On the beginning of chapter 7, which we're not going to read through because it's a lot of verses, Stephen also gives a very awesome telling of the gospel. So if you want something to read this week, go read that. Go look into commentary. There's some really cool things as he walks through the history of Israel and the significance and Jesus comes in and all those things. So this is, this is a familiar setup we see. Because again, Stephen heals a man. People are angry. He's called to trial. He preaches a message specifically filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to keep reading. Oh, even in verse 10 we see, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Like, man, this guy is set up. He's in a good spot. The Holy Spirit is clearly with him. So we're going to keep reading Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 59. If you want to go to the next slide. Uh, Jeff, do you mind going back to this? <laughs> I'm talking to nobody right now. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so Acts 7, starting verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Kind of a heavy passage, kind of a heavy story. After all of this, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, all these remarkable things, and then they kill him. And maybe you know this story. Maybe this isn't a surprise to you. Um, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm, I'm going to guess that this was a bit of a surprise to the readers because if I was reading through this the first time, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this has happened before. What cool ending is there going to be? And then Stephen dies. And I think we're left asking the question, why? Why did this happen? Because we often think that if we follow God, if we pray and do our devotions daily, that life will be good. We'll be happy. Things will work out. Or if we had a bad day, maybe it's because I didn't spend enough time praying this morning or I didn't focus on God enough today. But Stephen's story makes us face the uncomfortable reality that we don't actually have that much control because Stephen did everything right. In chapter 6 and 7, it says three times that, Peter, or that Stephen was led by the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. In verse 15, they looked intently at him and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and was obedient to Christ. And at the end of the story, they killed him. Sometimes things go wrong, not because we disobeyed God, but because we live in a broken world. We talk about this idea of sin entering the world. You've probably heard that before. But I want to break this down a little bit. What are we talking about when we say that sin entered the world? Because we have Adam and Eve. We know we have Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. They listened to the serpent instead of God. They took the fruit. They ate the fruit. And all these bad things happened. And that's where we say sin entered the world. But not just because they disobeyed and they made a mistake. They, they sinned and had to repent. But when they did that, that act of disobeying God allowed corruption to enter their perfect world. And that's what we see now. We not only see ourselves messing up, ourselves sinning, people around us sinning. We not only see, even if, you know, maybe the word sin makes you uncomfortable. We see injustices. We see people being selfish. We see people murdering. We see people doing all these things. Not only because we are sinful, but we also see the reality that our world itself is now corrupt. Corruption has come in. We see that with natural disasters. We see this with things that aren't done by human hands that we still don't understand. This is that idea of sin entering the world. When Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, they allowed corruption to come into the world. Sometimes things go wrong, not because of our actions, but because we live in a corrupted world. And I wanted to stay here for a minute because... I think there's two things at play here. One, we want to think we have more control than that. We want to think if I can follow God, if I can obey God, I can have some sort of control and life will go in this general direction. Things will work out as long as I listen and obey God and the Holy Spirit 
is in me. But the reality is we don't have that much control. And I think we can all point to times when life has sucked, even when we've felt like we were following God. And the other thing here, so uh, we want more control than we have. But I think a lot of times we blame ourselves. When things go wrong in our life, we assume that we must have done something wrong. We assume I had a sucky day. This is happening. This isn't going well. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Life sucks. Clearly, I'm doing something wrong. But that's not always the case. There are times when the Lord convicts us. There are times where he wants to shift our actions and what we're doing. But there are also times where we do everything right and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and life still sucks. This is a great message. Aren't you glad you're here today? Yeah! Um, yeah. Yeet. We could do a whole series on this. We could, do, we could do years of series on this topic, on the fact that life is hard and suffering exists and it doesn't make sense. Um, and if, if this is something you want to talk more about, come talk with us because we're not actually answering this question of why suffering exists beyond like this little tidbit we're giving. Um, but I know this is a real question and this is a real thing and I think we all wrestle with it at times. It's called the theodicy. Like, it, this is such a big thing that there is a name for wrestling with the question of suffering, theodicy. Um, but yeah, come talk to us. I'm reading a great book on this topic right now. Like, there's great encouraging resources, um, but this doesn't have to be the end of that conversation. But sometimes you can do everything right and be filled with the Holy Spirit and still things go wrong. I want to go back to Stephen. Um... And take a look at Stephen here. So um, if you want to go back to the passage. Um, so a few notes. Actually, in like two seconds, I'm going to have you go forward again. I forgot I was that organized and actually pulled that verse out. But a few notes here. Looking at Stephen, commentators suggest. So what you don't see here is his gospel message. Commentators suggest, but by the way he ends his message that he knew it would end with his death. That as he was preaching, he knew that that's where this was headed. And then if you look at verse 55, which we do have on the screen in two slides. Traditionally, so again, this is, we saw this in chapter 4. We're seeing this now, uh, that the religious leaders are unhappy. They're pulling Stephen into this trial-type area where... They are accusing him. You s we see that in the passage Nina reads. He is defending himself or more accusing the accusers in his speech. But then we see in verse 55 that he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Traditionally in this setting, Stephen, the accused, would be looking at his, the judges, waiting for the verdict. And commentators note that instead of looking at the judges, at this pivotal, mom pivotal moment in Stephen's life, he's looking up to Jesus and God as his judge. That God is the one that judges him, not the earthly judge in front of him. But I want to take a deeper look. There's a lot more we could pull out of this passage, how it mirrors Jesus' death on the cross with 
Um, I give you my spirit and forgive them. They don't know what they're doing and all this beautiful stuff. But I want to take a look at verse 55, a deeper look here. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, take note, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why this repetition? Because we literally have the same line, almost identical twice. So anytime, so, cause, so Luke tells us what he sees, and then Stephen repeats almost word for word what he sees. Anytime in the Bible this repetition occurs, it means something important is being said. So if ever you see something repeated, either word for word or similar ideas, that's a good note to like, okay, let me stop and read this because clearly this is important. The author put this in here twice. So this is what Luke is communicating. This is an important piece of information that he's putting it in there twice. So Stephen is about to die. The words that Stephen says and that Luke wants us to know are important is that he looks up to heaven and sees God and sees Jesus. And yes, he looks up to them as his judge, but there's more than that. Because in this moment, he's about to die. He knows he has followed God. He has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He is, these actions are being guided by the Holy Spirit, and yet he knows he's about to die. But even as he faces death, he looks and sees that Jesus is with him. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, his first book, The Magician's Nephew, which is my favorite one of the series. But the main character is Diggory, and Diggory goes into this magical world, but back in England, his mother is dying. And he, there's a moment where he goes to Aslan and he says, Aslan, can you heal my mother? And if you don't know the story, Aslan is a lion representative of Jesus. Aslan, please, please, can you heal my mother? And Aslan seems to not be answering. And Diggory is perplexed, like, why? Like, you're, you're good. Like, why, why are you not answering? But as he lifts his head to look up to Aslan, he sees that there are large tears in Aslan's eyes, that Aslan is feeling the pain, that Aslan is crying with him. And that's what I want you to know. Even in your darkest moments, in those valleys of the shadow of death moments, God is with you and he is walking with you. It doesn't mean it's easy, but he's there. Pete Grage, I think that's how he says his name, in one of his books, God on Mute, and we have that quote on the screen, whenever we carry a burden to God in prayer, begging, please, please, won't you, can't you, and yet God remains silent, we may assume that he is unmoved as long as our eyes remain downcast reverently at his feet. But when in our pain and shame we dare to lift our eyes to study his countenance, we find his face bent near to our own and wonder of wonder, great shining tears are in his eyes. When we lift our eyes to see his countenance, wonder of wonder, 
He's there with us, crying with us. And this, if you were at our experience night a couple weeks ago, this ties right into that, this idea of God at a table and inviting you to his table. And we asked this question, we took time to think and meditate on, what is God saying to you? How does he see you? What is the expression on his face? The same thing. When we are in those deep suffering moments, those valley of the shadow of death moments, those moments of depression and anxiety and suffering, and we don't know why, he is there with us. The last thing I want to pull out of this passage, again, Stephen is here facing death. And what does he do? He looks to Jesus. So it's the same thing Diggory and the lion, the same quote, he lifts his eyes and he looks to Jesus. He depends to Jesus. And I was reading through this and how incredible it is that this is Stephen's response. I thought of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. If you know that story, they um, won't bow down to the idol, or if you know the Veggie Tales version, the chocolate bunny. They won't bow down to the idol. And so they're thrown in the fiery furnace. But before they are thrown in, there's this line where they say to the king, they say, God will save us from your hands, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. They are faced with death. And even if God does not save them, they will not bow. They looked to Jesus but trusted him even if he was going to let them die. You can go read that story and find out the ending if you don't know it. Book of Daniel. But maybe more importantly, the other parallel I see between that story between Stephen is the parallel with Jesus right before his death. Jesus is faith about to face his death an awful, gruesome death. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is so distressed that he is sweating blood, which is actually a very rare medical condition. He is sweating blood. And he's crying out to his father. He's crying out Abba. Abba being a, a personal name. God, Dad, Daddy, Daddy God. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can laugh at that. That's okay. <laughs> he cries out, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. He asks God, please do not make me go through this. And he ends his prayer with, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. And we know the end of that story, and we are eternally thankful that he surrendered himself to God's will and went through that excruciating death because it means we are co-heirs, we are children of God because of that. But we see in these three stories, in Stephen facing death, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing death, and in Jesus facing death, we see them look to God and we see absolute surrender. Even in the face of death, 
Stephen's faith, Stephen's faith and obedience wasn't shaken. So what about us? Man, after looking at these stories, it's hard to look at our own life, isn't it? What about us? When life isn't going well, when we have bad days, when people we love who are faithful and follow Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, when they are suffering and in the valley of the shadow of death, do we look to Jesus? How do we respond? Are we out? Do we ditch Christianity as quickly as we accepted it? Do we only follow Jesus when we have good days? Which really we should ask, why are you following God? Is it because you think he's promised a better life? Because as nice as that sounds, that's not the promise we have. But he does promise to walk with us always. He promises to be with us. It's like if any of you know the footprints story from the 90s. <laughs> I got a laugh out of that. <laughs> Yeah, 90s kids. Daniel's a 90s kid. He should know that story. God promises to be with us. Life might not be easy, but he is always with us. Sometimes, because of our corrupt world, life is hard. But he walks with us through those desperate and painful times. He's there. He's there to hear our tears, our screams, our anger. He's there. When times get hard, are you out? Do you walk away? Or do you turn to the God of the universe, maybe with tear-stained cheeks and clenched fists and sweating blood or swearing at God? Do you turn to him and say, I trust you? Do you look at him in a way that you can see the tears in his own eyes? Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. Great story. Go look. At, I've given you like 10 things to go look up. You guys got a lot of reading to do over Thanksgiving. Just kidding. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. After um, suffering a mental breakdown, the Boxer Rebellion happened in China. And he got word that many missionaries and children had been killed in this rebellion. There's this quote. He says, I cannot read. I cannot think. I cannot even pray. He admitted to his wife. But I can trust. I cannot read. I cannot think. I cannot even pray. But I can trust. And if this is where you are, that's okay. God is big enough to take your tears. He's big enough to take your anger. He's big enough to take your questions. He's big enough to take our lack of ability to pray. And he's still there with tears in his eyes waiting for us to look at him. The coolest thing is he also sends other people to be there too. Sometimes we can do everything right and follow the Holy Spirit and things still fall apart. You want to come up, Jeff? And 
um, we're going to end a little differently tonight. We're not going to do discussion questions. We're going to end with a time of reflection with you and God. On those days when things are not going right, in those seasons of life, because we all have those seasons, do you still turn to him? Do you still choose to follow him? Do you decide in that moment to look at Jesus? As we take time to reflect and pray, I want to encourage you to look at Jesus now. Pour out your heart, your pain. Tell him you trust him. Tell him you don't know if you can trust him. Let him see your anger, your tears. Look at him and let him respond. Again, this connects back to our experience night a couple weeks ago. Ask him how he sees you. Ask him if he's there for you. Look to Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are there as much as we hate those painful times, those times of suffering, those times walking through what feels like the shadow of the valley of death. We know that you are there, that even when we doubt and question, that you are there with tears in your eyes. You walk beside us. You hold our hand. You wrap us in your arms and you walk beside us. As we look to you tonight, help us to bring our pain, our fears, our questions, whatever we have, help us to bring it to you. And as we look to you, Show us who you are. Show us your compassion, Jesus. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. Or stop by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.